Well, hey, everyone. My name is Cronus. I'm here on the Musicians Insider. Today, we have musician and SEO, Catfish Comstock. Um, he's worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies, and he has a pretty cool band. I believe the name of it is Cyborg Assassins. Is that correct? That's the new project, yo. That's new. So I, I think I'm going to let Catfish introduce himself a little to my audience and tell me a little bit about what you're up to lately and, and what's going on with you these days. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me on, first of all. And uh, you and I have known each other for a long, long time, but um, held, seldom had an opportunity to actually talk in person. It's kind of weird how social media works. It's always a group session. You become friends on Facebook, you comment here and there, and you realize that we're doing the same thing. So I was like, you know, it's about time I get you on the show, especially if you have a new project going during this crazy time. Yeah, you know, this crazy time is actually the reason for the new project. So um, prior to this, uh, you know, I had been in a, a band called Dive Bomber for a lot of years that played all over Southern California and um, had an opportunity to open up for some of my childhood heroes during that time, like Skid Row and Quiet Riot and Lita Ford and Great White and all that kind of like 80s, you know, nostalgia tour type of stuff. Uh, and uh, had a great time doing that. Um, uh, you know, um, probably that band was most famous, um, uh, you know, for having the painted man. Uh, yeah, he's all well. colored up in, I remember we saw he's all in green, I believe, or red. Is he red or green? Uh, depends well, on the day. Okay. Cause I've seen different depends pictures, on, yeah. but we saw him, at, we saw you at the key club, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So that was awesome. Um, so that was, a, that was a lot of fun, you know, and then I moved out to Vegas to, to try to tour with Dive Bomber and, um, you know, after about a year or so uh, trying to put together a new band, um, we had a couple shows here and there. We went on a short little tour up, up north to Seattle and Oregon and stuff. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And so I tried to start a new project where I was going to be doing vocals. Uh, and that was a project called Voodoo Potion. Um, we opened up for Power Man 5000 at the NAMM show, had an auspicious beginning. But, uh, you know, because of COVID and, and some other issues, uh, that didn't work out either. And I found myself for the first time really since 1991, not in a, you know, rehearsing band uh, and couldn't really do any rehearsing um, as a kidney transplant, you know, recipient. Uh, this is, uh, the, you know, this is the kind of thing where I've got to be extra vigilant, if you will. Uh, and so uh, a buddy of mine, ironically, um, this guy, DJ Highlighter, my friend, uh, Polly Pollywood, uh, who's been a great supporter of mine musically throughout the years, said, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing a lot of EDM stuff. You should get a copy of FL Studio and do some EDM stuff with me. And I didn't really, when I got the, when I got the software, I did, had no intention really of like creating a new sort of hard rock project. I really just got it to mess around with some dance music. And then it just sort of evolved where I was making these, these cool EDM style um, tracks and I thought, you know what, why don't I take some of these ideas and put them into this sort of context that I would as a rock song and then layer on some of my guitar and my vocals and see how it turns out. And um, all of a sudden, 10 songs later, I'm, I'm having a really good time. Uh, I've got my, my first single, Steampunk Woman, uh, is coming out September 17th. It's already been uploaded to DistroKid uh, and it'll be out on Spotify. So, uh, you know, if you could, if you could do that pre-save, if you're out there in the audience, I would appreciate it. I'll put the it. link, uh, right here or right here. <laughs> okay, cool. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. But yeah, it's, uh, it's just been quite an adventure, uh, through all this and sort of reinventing myself. And now what I find is really interesting, um, you know, prior to this in the bands that I've been in, I've always sort of like wrote these riffs, right. And, and the way it works is you go to practice and you got to play the riff, like, 
I don't know, 20, 30 times before somebody in the band wants to start jamming along with it. It really sort of catches hold. So it's a, it's a great filter using that system for the stuff that's maybe not as cool. But um, what I found for this was I was writing the EDM tracks before I ever even wrote guitar or vocals. So then I would come in afterwards and sort of figure out the vocal track. And then the guitar was really sort of the last thing. Uh, and, and it's your, it's probably your comfort, right? The guitar is your comfort instrument. So usually you do it first. So here, you know, you're not gonna have any trouble putting cut guitar in later. Yeah, exactly. It was sort of just, it was one of those things where, um, I needed the beat to, I mean, I, I, there, there were a couple, um, voodoo potion songs that, that I've sort of retained, but reworked, um, into this format. So that was a little bit of a different exercise, but learning now to sing and play what I wrote, because I've never done it before together. Um, is, is the current challenge and um, is going to be the thing that takes a little while before I'm ready to, to do this live. But I've, uh, in the last couple of weeks, made some good progress in, in doing that. But it's been quite an exercise to figure out like, OK, on this syllable and in the middle of these two syllables is where the downstroke is. You know what I mean? And then just practicing that and kind of getting a, like, what does that feel like to do it? Uh, and then figuring out markers where like, if I'm not doing this at this point, I'm doing it wrong. You know, just just sort of training yourself to go through that whole process has been a really unique experience, too. hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel that way, too. Like, I'm the lead singer, but when I was in this band here, I was a guitar player. I'm the guy in the velvet. Yeah. Uh, but to change to lead singer is such it's such a responsibility and yeah. it's, it's it's hard to do. And it's hard to get people to take you seriously that we're in the other band sometimes and you have to sometimes just start with new people. But if you sang your whole life um, and you didn't have an instrument, it's kind of weird. You see people standing around awkward with a microphone, right? So being a guitar player, <laughs> you have that to hide behind, but also it's your, it's your machine gun. It's your instrument. It's your, it's your thing. Yeah. So I, I feel you, man. I'm, I have two guitars right there. My two music mans. Um, I got a Godan acoustic. I love too. I'm wearing my in-ears from 64 audio. I got them from a NAMM show and they hooked me up. So I'm on a good little, trajectory with nice. gear maybe i'll get you on when i do my gear podcast episode where we can talk about gear um any cool gear that you're into lately and i'm just gonna put my power in here uh, you know i i play i've got a i've been very very blessed in my life um to have worked in music stores back in the 90s right when it was still cool to be a guitar guy in a, in a music store in the 90s because it was before the, the internet was really a thing and um so you were still sort of that that wizard down the street that you had to go and, and talk to if you wanted to know what was going on right like you go in the guitar store and then someone's like how does he do thunderstruck and then a guy knows how to do it everyone's like how's he doing it and you're all like 13 14 years old looking at these guitars yeah now guys, they're, like they're, they're six-year-old kids to get on there and they're they're already shredding better than you can so it's it's a different world we live in today but back then um, I was able to collect a, a 78 Les Paul custom black beauty um, that's been my sort of main axe for the last 20 something years maybe even longer than that. I don't want to date myself too bad, but uh, I think I already have probably. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the interesting things that, that ended up being a part of this album or this, this first single uh, that's going to be a part of the larger album is the first time I've ever really stayed in the box through the entire recording process out of, out of necessity, because even though I had a Marshall stack at my disposal, that's what I play. I play a, a 2210, 800, um, which is that, you know, it's the later 800 where they had the 900 circuit, like not circuitry, but uh, design with the channel switching and the effects loop and the built-in reverb, right, which was, which was part of the 900 series, but it's still got the 800 technology 
Um, and I got, dude, I, I bought this head for 375 back in the day. Like it's been the best investment I ever made. A 50 and, watt version uh, of that. I think I had a 50 watt version of that. Like, you know, like yeah. they had like, it was like you could go louder without having to turn it all the way up kind of thing. I wish I had the 50 watt version because the hundred Watts, like, you know, I I'm constantly fighting sound guys wherever I go. <laughs> it's telling me I don't need that kind of volume. And I'm like, dude, if it's not moving my pants, I can't play. You know what I mean? Like I've got to have that presence, you know? Well, but, so how do you feel about these? Cause if you have this, do you need an amp? Um, yeah, well, I kind of do, um, you know, like for me, man, for live, live but, but that's what I'm getting at for this project. I couldn't like for the number of hours I spent, even just doing the solo for this, this song, um, I couldn't really like blast out from people I live with and my neighbors during quarantine. Right. So I hey. used a plug in um, by Nim, uh, Nimbrini, N-E-M-B-R-I-N-I. Uh, and they do a lot of really cool amp simulators, but they have one. Um, that I used that's uh, actually modeled off of my amps. That's awesome. And so, yeah, so it was really cool. And um, I mean, it's not the same. I'm not going to like sit here and say how like, you know, I don't need my amp anymore. I would have preferred to, you know, go out to Hollywood and hang out with my buddy Bill Matoyer out there who, who typically records my stuff. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Bill, he, he was uh, the vice president of Metal Blade back in the 80s. Okay. And, you know, he did like, you know, uh, some of Slayer's early stuff and a lot of other great 80s bands uh, from the thrash era. Uh, and he's just, uh, you know, Skull 7 uh, Productions. It's um, he's a great guy to work with, but it just wasn't feasible um, for what I'm doing with this project right now. And also, if I'm being honest, as a, you know, as a sort of newbie in the home recording um, world, I didn't want to deal with signal to noise ratio and sort of analog like issues that you get into when, when you start live tracking. Right. So for me, just keeping everything in the box, um, which basically means, you know, you're not, you're not using the analog stuff, right. It's all digital. Uh, that allowed me to get my music to the point where um, I found this guy on, on soundbetter.com. Um, this guy uh, that is a, um, a, Yod, I think is his name. Uh, he's a uh, works for Planet Waves, and he's an engineer that's worked on like Pet Shop Boys and Brian Adams and Sia and like nice. uh, just this eclectic group of folks that I thought was an interesting mix between rock and um, you know and more of the some of the styles that I'm trying to get to uh, with this new project. So uh, he did the mixing and the mastering on um steampunk woman and so uh it, you know it worked out really good are you are you happy with steampunk woman and what kind of video do you envision for it you know it's funny the video that i'd like to do is probably not the video i'm going to end up doing just based on financial you know limitations unfortunately as fate would have it uh this last month like i don't know 40 days ago i was told that i wasn't going to be able to renew my lease out here in las vegas of where i've been for five years and, um, uh, you know, coming up with the money to move and pay double rent in May uh, and everything else sort of tapped me out in terms of, of the things that I have uh, at my disposal. But fortunately, I do have an extensive network of friends who are, you know, really cool to me. And um, it might end up being like the song is really predicated about the appreciation of steampunk women characters in both film and anime. Um, and that's what Cyborg Assassins is really all about is, uh, is the dichotomy between 
how technology is enabling us and how it's killing us, right? And, and using characters that are cyborg assassin characters in both film and animate that tell stories around themes like that is, is what I'm kind of trying to, to get into and sort of a celebration of, of anime culture and, and science fiction and, um, you know, things that, that have resonated with me throughout my life. I mean, I, I'm an old school Robotech head from, from the early days as far as anime goes. And, uh, I, and granted, you know, um, in, in truth, I've always been around steampunk sort of culture, but I've never really explored it that much until I really had nothing better to do during, during the pandemic, but to really like rediscover some of my science fiction, Dungeons and Dragons, um, kind of nerdy, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. And I mean, nerdy in the, in the coolest way possible, but, um, you know, I think with EDM, with a, with an embrace of EDM culture too, which I've always, again, been around, but never really like, um, you know, never dived in, into the deep end of it until now. So um, the more that I got into all this, the more I realized it was a really good uh, backdrop for this project. And then I was able to get cyborgassassins.com and basically every social media profile out there with cyborg assassins, just the name itself. And that was kind of the, the universe's validation that I'm heading in the right direction. I'll tell you, um, I've really held back on releasing anything my whole life. Uh, that was mine. I got a new album and we finished it right before the pandemic. And I was able to get it on a couple of radio stations like Toronto's Edge 102 and KLOS in LA oh, right and play on. some shows. I got to play the Viper Room, but um, like I'm still waiting to come out with the album and push it and market it with my team because of the pandemic. I'm locked down in Canada. So oh, I see. I've been learning how to do this stuff. And it's like, there's these seminars that you can take on how do you do a TikTok video where from zero to three seconds, you shoot from this angle. And then from three to yeah. seven seconds, you shoot from that angle. And you edit, the, we live in. you edit the endpoints really close. So it's just, it's an annoying video style that people will, then you explain what you're selling at the end. It's, it's weird. Um, how do you, as a, an SEO, try to take that and put it to music to help market your music? Because you know, like, we should be the biggest musicians in the world if we're so good at SEO, right? But it doesn't work yeah, that but way. You know what? You know what's <laughs> ironic? So, so here's what's really funny. I got into SEO in like 1997-98 trying to promote my band. I got a job at an internet service provider as a customer service agent because I had dropped out of college after six years of partying at the University of Arizona and San Diego State, right? I went to like Party U and then Party U 2. And while I was at San Diego State, I got myself in a band. And that's when I realized I don't want to go corporate right now. I want to be in this world of rock and roll. And I didn't have the pedigree to do that without spending the seven years in music retail that I did. That was really the education I really needed to, to get into this industry and sort of become authentic. Real and stuff. during during that period of time, though, um, you know, I had sort of like worked at, the, you know, the music stores in San Diego I had wanted to. And after seven years, I, I kind of was ready for a change. And I got this customer service job um, behind a computer and I learned how to uh, code HTML during my downtime of like waiting for people to answer the phone. And I built myself a website at heavymusic.com. Uh, that was my 
got into affiliate marketing and all of a sudden I outranked mp3.com on Alta Vista for the word mp3. Nice. And Alta that's Vista. Real, awesome. Yeah. That's before Google was born. Right. So that, uh, that tells you how InfoSeek, all the, all the web, yeah, Remember yeah, Bruce Clay's out- Northern lights, all that stuff, man. So uh, the thing about it was, and I owned Web Position 1.0, right? Like that was the that was the big thing back in the day. But the thing was, as I learned, is that people weren't searching for my music; they were searching for music that they already knew, right? So SEO has sort of a limited ability to really drive, um, you know, fans and and engagement. And social media, and specifically what you just talked about which I'm getting into now is around TikTok and, and, um, and IG, that, that's really where you gotta be in order to be relevant, right? Yep. And so we're no longer just musicians because nobody cares. You've gotta be a full content creator that uses music as one of the vehicles to, to build a brand around yourself and your band. And to promote and, the podcast, um, for example, like you've, you've right. take a, you take a cut from, an interesting part of our conversation where we had a, an interesting moment where something was really a good tidbit. Then you cut that and you throw it into Instagram, but you don't give them the answer and you make them want to watch the rest of it. And then that's how dumb it is. It's like the daily. Well, it's, it's not so much. I, I, I would, I would hesitate to classify it as dumb as just different, right? Like you and I grew up in a different world with different expectations. And I, I live with two small girls, um, you know, who are uh, 10 and seven. And it's been a really eye-opening experience watching them grow up and watching their engagement habits um, with the with the internet and online and and you know Fortnite and gaming is another thing that Cyborg Assassins is really all about um, and and learning that whole ecosystem and learning where people are and what their lives are like and trying to unlearn some like i don't want to be that old guy that couldn't change that i used to gripe about my parents being you so know, is your album is your album going to come out as 12 songs on a on a format no like- that's what i was going to tell you like i don't see a value in doing an album anymore it's like we talked about I, the other I, day on here yeah i feel like it's just a string of singles and then when i get to the point where there's like eight six, six or seven singles released I'll give you the, I'll give you it as an album package with like maybe three at one time as sort of the bonus of the thing coming out. But dude, it takes so long to make content. And to your point, like it takes so long to make all the supporting content to promote the content. Once you try to do that across 10 songs, I mean, look at Miley Cyrus came out with Plastic Hearts last year. It already feels old. Maybe she was able to promote what one or two or three of those songs. By the way, that's a great album. I mean, I don't know. I, I know that's weird to say Miley Cyrus. Well, you know, the money behind that album, album, but the amount of production and people behind that record, like that's going to sound incredible. Well, right. But I mean, the, the point is, is how much of it's wasted now because the audience has already moved on. Like they're ready for the next thing and you can't even take advantage of that in an album format. So and that's on a huge budget with a lot of people with a big team with that, that's got a huge financial investment in trying to do that. And still, it's the limitation of the attention span of, of the world that we live in today. Right. So um, for me, I think just Cyborg Assassin is going to release a bunch of singles. I'm looking forward to trying to get another one out this year. Uh, I, I chose September because I knew I had like 
I spent all last year learning how to create music and I still got a long way to go on that, you know, but now I've shifted focus and I'm taking this year to learn how to market music and well, um, come back you know, here and talk to me, around. talk to me more when you learn more and let me know what you'll learn. Cause I'd love to hear about it. Cause this is a real hard one for musicians. Like people waste so much money pissing away money at Spotify playlist people, you know, and like stuff like that, where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're on a bunch of playlists unless the people who put you on there care. Right. That's, that's the thing about it. I'm, I'm not really interested in paying to play, so to speak in that space. I've always, you know, I've never had a problem with buy-ons in the real world because you can play 10 shows in front of 50 people or one show in front of 500 people. And if you play one show in, fi- in front of 500 people, you're typically making a bigger impression for the people that see you. So for me, I, I've never really had a problem with that kind of investment, um, you know, especially because I've been fortunate to be in bands that have been popular enough to be able to, you know, sell the tickets when, when necessary. Um, but, uh, well, in, <laughs> not always. Let, let's, let's not kid ourselves. There's definitely times where you take a loss on, on you know, investing in your business. But the point being that for me, all those, those situations created authentic relationships that I still have today with, with, you know, my fan base and and friends that were kind enough to to support me. And um, to your point, if I'm going to invest in digital things, it's probably going to be remarketing against people that have already engaged with my brand on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or, or TikTok, where I'm just using it as a way to distribute the reminder that, Hey, by the way, you already know cyborg assassins. Here's the latest thing come back to the party and hang out, you know? And in corporate, you know how it's different when your company is 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, you do things different at the different stages. So with bands, I think that's another sort of thing. Like when you don't have any fans, you can't just act like Miley Cyrus because she has the fan base. They know they're going to sell it. So when you're coming out, you're introducing yourself. It's a different market. Um, People aren't looking for new music. They need to be told about it. They need to be bugged right. by their buddy. Have you heard this song? They need to see, like there was 20 years ago, we discussed this in Toronto. I remember it was some musician friends. We were at Canadian Music Week and we're talking about how someone needs to tell you about it. You need to hear it on the radio and then you need to have it like three different things happen for someone to buy your album. Um, and now it's a totally different digital world. And what are those emotions that need to be connected? It seems like if no one tells you to do something, you're not going to know about it. So almost your advertising has to tell them. So like I haven't bought any ads yet because I didn't want to do anything until the pandemic was figured out. And now we're like, next week, we're going to start putting together a bunch of ads. Or we're going to start pushing out things on social media where they're like 15 second ads here and there that go into people's feeds because that's what people are expecting now is ads. And if you don't have them in all the different areas, you can't just do it organically. You have to be on the paid as well, especially for music. Well, that's part of the platform, too. Although I will say with TikTok, man, there's, there's no better platform for music than TikTok. And the reason is, is because when people are scrolling Fine. through TikTok, they, they got the music on. If you're scrolling through Facebook or IG, it's odds are you, it's muted. If you're on TikTok, you got that on because that's part of the experience. And, and really, like, in this kind of world, it's like, if, if, if somebody doesn't know you and they don't know your music... Like how much of attention span are you really expect them to give you to make a decision anyway, right? Like if you can't figure out in a, in a minute how to like grab their attention and get them to like interact again, or at least like 
see the logo and yeah, make that's the first it. impression. Yeah. Right? It's, it's um, the impression. Well, and TikTok, I'm going to just jump in quick before I forget my point. Yeah. But yeah, TikTok, no I need to nail that to the wall. <laughs> TikTok, uh, uh, they'll see you once playing your little instrument, doing your thing. And if it impresses them, they're going to skip by it. And then they'll see it again. They'll skip by it. Like that saxophone guy. You know that guy that dresses up as Sasquatch? Yeah. Like, I've seen his things millions of times. I've never clicked on them, but you start, now you know him. Just from seeing Now you know him. And that's a thing, man. Like, you know, us old school guys, like being famous is not what it used to be, right? Like, everyone's famous. Nobody's famous. Everyone (laughs) is famous now. Like, everyone is famous, and so no one's famous, right? And so, like... The thing about it is, is really is not about being famous or being a rock star anymore or all that kind of stuff when you grew up in the 80s, what it was supposed to be like. And, and ironically, like I know some 80s rock stars because I, I met them throughout the years and, you know, their lives are not anywhere close to being any of that anymore, you know, and unless you're Metallica. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, unless, you know, unless you're really in that rarefied air. Right. But for most of us, what this is really about is learning to create an audience a fan base that digs your music you being able to use that platform to tell your story or your stories through your music and creating a sense of community around what it is that you do um, and a value proposition that hey you know if you tune in to my station if you will um i'm going to provide you with some of some kind of entertainment that's going to help you get through this life you know what I mean? And that's, I mean, that's what we're really all doing here, right? Is we're all trying to just get through this and, life. And you can't tell them you're going to do it. You just got to show them. Right. No, you can't tell. I mean, look, nobody wants to be told anything. Just show me. What do you got? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention to you for about 2.8 seconds on TikTok. I'll give you the opportunity. What do you got? And if it's not cool, dude, there's thousands of other people on there that have cool stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've been on TikTok lately, yeah. but some of that shit blows my mind. And I'm just like, wow. Well, I'm like the world today that I'm trying to like penetrate in the consciousness of and and be and provide value. So I started playing like guitar, singing and writing on a hoverboard all at the same time. And I could play my whole set like that. It's pretty funny, but it's like now I don't want to pigeonhole myself into having to ride the hoverboard all the time because I'm going to kill myself. So my newer my newer thoughts are I'm going to have go-go dancers on hoverboards and I'll just play something like that because that's that's and i'll maybe come out and do it on the ending on one song or something well you got to figure out how to how to make it a complete story within the context of what you're doing right like those girls that you're talking about if you're going to do that they need to be at your show doing that on the stage while you're playing as well right well that's what i'm saying uh go-go dancers on the side when you're performing live like a a dj because i don't have i fired all bass players are fired all bass players are fired (laughs) um I use serum. Uh, we use serum. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny about that? I've, I've, so on, on my new songs, I play the bass, I play the guitar, and I sing. But I also have bass lines that I've created. Either I use loops that I like, or to your point with serum or OC3 on um, uh, uh, FL Studio is what, uh, again, that's what I'm using. So what I find is, is that there's, the bass, I like to do the bass lines in a traditional way that augment what the guitar is doing and give it that, you know, that power, that oomph, or, or the or the the play off it, right? That creates that sort of weave. Like that, Alice in Chains. Yeah. Um, but but also 
Baselines from an EDM standpoint, I think serve almost a different purpose. So if anything, I have extra bass in, in the things that I'm doing, which I think with an EDM, you know, I'm trying to move people too, man. I mean, it's not that I don't love playing music to old dudes in black shirts because <laughs> that's who I am. And that's, that's who a lot of my friends are. But, um, you know, I, I want to also appeal to a younger audience that has different expectations. And I want people to be able to come to my shows and to be able to like, you know, dancing in, from an industrial standpoint or an EDM standpoint, if that's what they're into, but also that people that are into like hard rock music, um, you know, will also gravitate towards what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to create. So the, the, the beat is what changes sometimes, not really what you're doing. So for me, I'm still playing nineties, all rock, just over 2015 to 2020 EDM style beats. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm kind of trying to do. Although it, it feels the same. Like it feels the same in a lot of ways. Um, the guitar parts are probably like not as um, intense as maybe Dive Bomber was, for example, because in Dive Bomber, like I'm the only guitar player, right? So there's a lot of space to fill. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of intensity. Uh, and not that these aren't, I got some of the same kind of riffs, but there are a lot of other times where I'm playing more like um, complementary guitar parts. There's still distortion. It's still that hard rock feel, but it's a lot more ACDC than Metallica because, Color. you know, yeah, it's color, it's it's emphasis, and it's, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, overall ambience. So, uh, because at the end of the day, what I'm really trying to do is, is, is create an atmosphere that supports the, the telling of the story that I'm trying to tell within the song. That's really cool. Do you have a bunch of songs that you're working on now then? Or what do you, what do you? Yeah, so I've got, I've got 10 songs that are basically done. Um, I'm working on right now. So my first song is Steampunk Woman. I'm working on a second song called Flamethrower, where I'm trying to like get that to a point where I can, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to go with Yoda again um, as, the, as the mix master engineer. Um, I've met a lot of people actually through Clubhouse lately, um, the, the social app Clubhouse, which yeah. by the way, if you're not on Clubhouse yet, man. That's like drinking from a fire hose every day that you want to tune in about whatever topic. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of information, especially I've, I've been really getting into NFTs lately. I was going to ask you, did you, did you drop your NFT for your new song? Is that going to happen? No, <laughs> I, I'm going to do that two weeks after. Um, and I'm really like, uh, I'm really hoping that. So if you're not familiar with NFTs for your audience, it's non-fungible token. Right. And it's essentially like um, it's digital ownership via a ledger in the blockchain right is is basically what it is and it's basically like a node in the blockchain that you write to the blockchain with your gas fees that says this is th this is the digital owner of this file and and it points to th the file actually doesn't live on the blockchain the file lives somewhere else typically like the interplanetary file system via a service like pinata or something like that um and i know i'm getting really technical for a lot of no people, this so is I'll great try to keep it high level. I, but, but please, please go into how someone can actually go about making something if they don't know how. Well, you usually what you want to do is you want to mint something in one of the marketplaces. So OpenSea or Rarible is probably like the most popular for Ethereum. If you're going to be on the Ethereum blockchain, which is also currently the most popular. And probably if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're somebody that has an audience 
that might be the best place for you to be in terms of the amount of money that's being spent on Ethereum. It's sort of the standard, right? The problem with Ethereum, at least if you're environmentally conscious, is it works on what's called a proof of uh, work protocol instead of proof of stake, which, um, you know, it also, again, probably has more value in the long term if you're on Ethereum. But there's also there are other chains that you can mint on, most notably Tezos or Matic. Um, and by the way, uh, if you get onto Clubhouse, I'm in a group called um, NFTS.tips. And I'm part of the music team on there. And that, that organization is a nonprofit that's dedicated towards in, empowering people with NFT technology. So if you're, if you're here in the podcast and um, you're interested in NFTs, you, wanna, you, know, you have no idea where to start, the best thing to do is jump into a nfts.tips clubhouse room and just kick it for a while and just get your mind blown like I did for like six weeks. And, and I'm still you know, making sense because the thing is, is like art and music in the NFT world is different, right? And the reason I even know about NFTs, by the way, interestingly enough, so I'm, I'm creating a character to represent cyborg assassins called uh, Frank after Frankenstein. I'm naming him after the original cyborg assassin, right? Maybe not the original, but one of the or original famous ones. Nice. And I have a, um, this guy, Sean from Halloween Tattoos, who's a really cool dude and does some crazy, amazing artwork. Um, is drawing the character. And part of our contract negotiation was, hey, you can use this artwork to sell merch, represent your band. I still can use it to show that this is what I do, right? So standard stuff. But if you want to upload it to an NFT or any kind of art platform, that's going to require a separate contract, which we will negotiate later. And I was like, NF what, dude? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. So that, ironically, my friend Laura Beatty invited me to Clubhouse like the same day. So once again, the universe said, thou shalt go here and learn. Um, and that's what I've been doing. So I've not minted anything yet. I don't plan on minting anything yet because I'm really trying to... The thing about music that's different than art is, is who's collecting it. And it, it's about providing value to people who are potential buyers of your NFT, right? And so for me, um, it's not just about the artwork. It's about the, the story behind it. it. And not only that, but what are you giving somebody, right? As, as a result of their interaction. And you can't just think about the initial purchase because one of the things about NFTs that's derivatives. is derivatives. Well, not just derivatives, but um uh royalties on the secondary market so somebody buys your yeah so i i love where you're going on all this so i'm just letting you run with it because i was gonna ask you to talk about it and see how far you've gotten into this because this is the biggest thing that can help musicians that are starting out right now is to get in on this early but also you don't want to blow your money on some bullshit to people who are trying to sell nft no, stuff so i want to show right, people how to well, avoid that i'm saying the thing about the thing i found right now is that tezos is a lot cheaper right than ethereum yeah, so you might want to uh, sorry i mean ahead. even less to, to mint on te like but the thing is it requires having tezos to, to mint and then you go to a place like calament or hickeknunk which is really hard to spell but it's got a cool like little underground culture over there um hick at nunk um i mean from a branding perspective that those guys got a lot to learn <laughs> but it's like i said it's developed its own culture and it's a cool spot to be 
Matic is another side chain. It's actually a side chain of Ethereum. Um, but the problem with Matic is currently you can't just buy Matic. You got to buy Matic on the Ethereum blockchain and then transfer it over to the Polygon blockchain and pay gas fees to do that. And it gets kind of complicated for the average really, user if you're saying, hey, really you buy my stuff. Hard to learn yeah, unless you're already in the crypto. And like, should it's, it's, should yeah, artists, should labels make their own crypto coin? Like if you're, like I said to someone the other day, if you're Snoop Dogg, do you make your own coin? You know, like. I mean, I think you can, um, but it's a little bit different. So it's not, you're not going to make a coin like Ethereum. You're going to make a coin that's probably um, like a participation type of coin, right? There's, there's companies called uh, like, um, oh, Rally. Uh, Rally, uh, if you look up Rally NFT, um, the, right now they're, you have to apply because they're, they're small and, and emerging, but they're letting folks basically create these coins that as people interact with your, with your brand, right. they earn equity in the brand. And right. so this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be the space of the future, no doubt. So if you jump on it now and you get acquainted, this is why I say, just uh, yeah, get in the clubhouse. You got to get an invitation to clubhouse. Which uh, yeah, I, I've got a clubhouse invite. If anyone wants to get on one, you'd probably get like two or three invites per person. So you got to kind of ask someone who's already in there. But and they and now they're they support Android now too. So that was a barrier to entry for a lot of folks. For right. It was but like you had to be the like, cool iPhone kid to be in the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nowadays you can just get on there and and that's probably the best like way to really learn about like, NFTs the cool because iPhone. the thing about Clubhouse is it really facilitates relationship building because you're really just talk you're talking to people real time, right? And it's not hard to find somebody, especially in NFTS.tips. Um it's not hard to find somebody that's that, that will walk you through, you know, kind of the process. The question is, what are you going to mint? And if you're just like a musician and you just want to like mint your song with the audio file, for example, um, as an unlockable, because the, the file size, you can't mint the whole thing. Um, that's where, like I said, that's where this whole like collaboration piece comes in. And unfortunately, one of the things that's holding us back as musicians right now um, and I think Rarible just did split wallets, but other than Rarible, I think um, Cargo.Build on the Matic network is the only other one that currently has split wallets. And if you don't have split wallets, that means you got to manage like everything offline in terms of the financial part of it. And that sort of takes away from the the concept here, right? Like who wants to manage so, that relationship perpetually? So to bring it back to the musician's world a little better, like, Here's all my picks, for example, a, a bunch of picks that I love. You know, this is Dimebag's pick from the stage with little X's in it. This is Jerry Cantrell's. Here's Lemmy. Here's Jason Newstead. There's bass player from White Zombie. Got a lot of picks here. How can an artist, like, so we were talking about, I was talking to a friend of mine about um, Kenny Arnoff was one of the first drummers being involved in an NFT thing. And essentially your drumstick would be licensed to then be make derivative drumstick NFTs. So like, I don't know how it would work, but like, this is yeah, the NFT from that. Sh this is the NFT from this show for my drumstick. And it's now people buy it. So you can create that kind of content. Yeah, you can. Um, that, that's a little bit in the advanced world, right? When you're creating derivatives that people care enough about that, they're going to want to like, well, a drumstick's a good idea. No, I agree. I totally agree with that. I'm just saying, Again, if you're a famous person, that that might work for you, right? If you're the average person who's listening to this, 
um, and you just want to get an NFT going for your band, what you would probably do is strike up a deal with whoever created your artwork for your band cover, your album cover or your single cover in my case, right? And then you would, um, you would probably split the, the proceeds of that um, and you would have maybe a 30 second clip embedded in the file with the artwork. And then as part of when, when they buy the, um, the thing, there's maybe a password that comes with it and a, and a link where they can go and download the actual wave file, right? So not, 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 most people don't get an opportunity to own the wave file to your song. Yeah. Uh, and then whatever else you can think to add value and create so, sort of that VIP cool experience. So I've been le like learning and like some people have NFTs that they buy for their kid and when the, it's programmable. So when the kid turns 12, it does something. So when the kid turns 12. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of potential technologies out there right now that are so being it's, developed. It's insane. The sky's the limit. It's really open. Some some technology is has been made and is supported. Some is future facing. So that's why I say if you get into Clubhouse or whatever and you listen to what's going on, you can kind of keep up with like not only where they are today, but there's Clubhouse rooms where like literally the owner of um, uh, of one of these marketplaces will be there and dis be discussing like what they're going to be doing, what are their priorities, what are they developing. So you can sort of take that into consideration on how you're going to position your NFTs. You know, um, I know like uh, Emily Lazar, uh, uh, who is um, uh, a vocalist um, and I'm the, the band name. I can't even believe that the band name is escaping me right now. Um, I can put it in later. But, here. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, but uh, it's early here for me. <laughs> At least it was before 12. So I'm not, I'm not up yet. Um, September morning. Thank you. Um, so uh, they, they've done some NFTs and she's really active in the space as well. Um, but, you know, she's one of the few sort of emerging rock artists um, that I've seen yet in the space. And are you brand new? Are you, yeah, go ahead. Are you uh, involved? So in Las Vegas, there's a pretty good burner man, burning man art scene, like the burner communities there. Are you any part of that? Have you seen any of that? Because Not I, yet. Okay, so I have some friends who have, We've been going for eight years. We run skate camp. Um, some of my friends have built a couple other art cars and done some cool stuff. And I know a group of them just made a new one called the Meta Phoenix, and it's an NFT is being released or sold now. And I'm excited for them. But and actually, ironically, they did some of my artwork, so I'm thinking of you know talking to them about how to do it. But they're very busy, I'm sure, with other things. But um, I I'm excited to see that because Burning Man was virtual this year, a lot of NFTs were created for it that are now being like, they were, they were like art cars and awesome assets. And now they can, you know, turn them into NFTs and do things with them like that. It's kind of gone digital faster because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm actually really excited to perhaps join you next year uh, up at Bernie Man and, and maybe even find a way to, you know, perform some music up there at the, at the festival. That's well, sort of on my agenda. It's not really something you book. And it's like, no, I know to perform it. It's almost like if you brought all your gear, it's going to get destroyed. So you have to understand that part of it. So there's a lot right. of, um, a lot to do with it, but we can talk about it offline. You can definitely come. Uh, they're actually probably doing a, what's like a burn this year, but it's just not an official event, but a lot of people are going to get, I don't think I'm going to go cause I'm up here, but you never know. I'm also considering PubCon, but, uh, it's a bit late in the game now for PubCon, uh, Florida. 
Yeah, Florida's a little bit too far for me, man, under the circumstance. I was disappointed they were not going to be in Vegas again this year, as they normally are. But um, uh, And PubCon for your audience is, is an SEO convention, uh, digital marketing as opposed to, to music, right? All the SEOs, um, that's what we all are. <laughs> it's old school SEO nerd convention that where all the OGs typically hang out, right? Brett does a great job of running that conference, but um, Brett Tapke. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, reached I mean, out to him, but I haven't heard back. I don't think I'm going to go this year. For me, I, I I definitely recognize the challenges of the of the Burning Man, um, you know, performance aspect. I would definitely like probably just do a DJ set right with my with my music and maybe sing. I'm still debating on the various sort of ways that I can present this music because it doesn't necessarily have to be like a full you know, typical band scenario that I've done my whole life. Although there will, I, I certainly do want that to be like the main cornerstone of what I'm doing. And I'm, I am, I'm working with the guitar player right now and, and some other folks to sort of bring that to fruition. But I also want to be versatile enough to be able to show up with a DJ deck and a microphone and with the guitar or not. Uh, plug into with Scarlet and uh, you know be able to to perform in, in that way as well. I found that extremely difficult to do. Um, so I bring my whole setup. It's like right there. I can't show you though, but it's like my whole Ableton rack. Like I'm using Apollo Twin, and I just added another Apollo Twin. And I use a MacBook Pro, and I use Ableton, and I use like guitars and things. But um, it's all uh, it's all in there. Like it's almost like the whole band in a box. It's like a one man show, but I'm just adding a drummer and maybe some yeah. dancers and we sing, but it's so the technology is finally here that I can do what I've always been perfectionisting about and not able to do. Yeah, totally. So here yeah, we are. I would probably just put it to tracks, man. I'm, I'm not even trying to run a computer, right? Like that's just too much live. I think for me, I, I would just like, well, what's running the tracks. Uh, well, the tracks would be the songs without the vocals and maybe without the guitar parts, right? Where I could. But, but what what are you using to run the tracks? Like oh, probably like a probably like a um, like a DJ sort of uh, you know mixer. Where, but I'm not going to obviously use most of the capability of the DJ mixer because Ableton, gonna... my friend. Ableton is your friend, my friend. <laughs> check it out. Yeah, man, I, I've heard a lot about Ableton, and and I know FL Studio can do something similar. I'm just. I'm just really trying to make this so like as plug and play as possible for that scenario, right? Well, There's a, it, this, yeah, this, go ahead. this gear that I'm using is bizarre, but when I play all the, all the changes happen automatically through MIDI and um, my next purchase is a new laptop that's going to be running all my visuals and all my streaming on a separate PC. Oh, cool. So everything kind of goes into one computer and everything and then comes out and goes to another computer that's completely just visuals and streaming processing so that you don't have to worry about that. Um, oh, and it helps cool. for, yeah, I'm gonna for have I, to... I do gaming too. So it's all the same setup, you know? And I meant to ask oh, you, what, what kind of games are you playing if you're a gamer? Cause I know you mentioned that. I wanted to ask you about it. Bro, you know too. what? I, I have so little time for gaming that I found that the only thing that I can really do is on my phone. And I'm trying to like even cut down that. I, I play war robots primarily, um, which is a mobile game. I, Cyborg assassin. Ironically, I was playing that before I even came up with the name. So it, it dovetails nicely. Um, I play a little bit of Fortnite with, with, you know, my, uh, the young girl that I live with, although she's much better than me at this point and she can, you know, 
build like crazy and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I think, I think I'm slowing you down. So I'm probably going to switch to more robots it's, and just stay there. It's fun to talk to your friends you haven't seen and play. Like I've been started playing Grand Theft Auto with some friends. I've, I've never played that online before. And it's just fun to go on and play with your old friends and talk to them. Uh, you know, I've been playing Hearthstone and Super Mario too. So, yeah, I, I find it myself, man, like to your point about the perfectionist stuff, it's like if I can't if I can't be awesome at something, I tend not to even fuck with it. You know what I mean? Because it's just like I, I've there between, you know, being the director of SEO for a digital marketing agency and having Fortune 500 companies that have a certain expectation of my time and my my level of expertise and staying up to date on on all that stuff. And then, you know. Also, I, I take lessons every week from uh, Chris Broderick, um, formerly of, of Megadeth and now an act of defiance, right? And so, like, that's that keeps me pretty occupied, too. How's it going? Really good. I mean, he's changed my life completely. I mean, before I met him, I was primarily, like, pentatonic blues-based, you know, like, only. And um, learning three-note-per-string scale patterns um, and, and marrying that with the caged um, system... Uh, because I'd done cage most of my life. Like I learned that, you know, in the nineties and it's very positional, right? The five boxes, if you will. Um, and then once you get a feel for the, 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 there's seven patterns for three note strings, right? One for each note of the scale. Yeah. And you get them like, you know, once you send all your invites, you get a couple more in a couple days. So um, yeah, I would encourage your listeners to either, you know, hit you up or, or hit their friends up. You probably, you could probably just get on Facebook and say, does anybody have a clubhouse invite and probably get one, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and because it's three, you can alternate pick. Yeah, you can alternate pick. And, and although ironically, it's funny, man, I, I, I'm having to go back and really force myself to play triplets and just play triplets because I've been playing 16th notes in triplet feel for so like, not, not feel, but 16th notes in patterns of three for so long that when even when I play these three note per string scales, it's like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. You know what I mean? So I've, yeah. I've had to really go back and and force myself. And by the way, um, if you've never had one of these stylus picks, um, these things, you got one of those? Is that like Kirk Hammett's pick, kind of? No, this this got a diamond head on it. I got yeah. one. Very close. And, to well, that. you don't. You only use it to practice. Like you don't use this live. You just use it to practice because what happens is if you use any more than just like the tip of the pick, um, it catches on the string and it forces you to stop. And it's absolutely maddening and it's a pain in the ass, but it really does increase your accuracy. And, and uh, that's been. A, I mean, I've used it for a long time, but but now that Chris has got me doing other stuff um what what do you got there is that got oh it's okay. close there you go it's close it's a kirk yeah. hannett pick that my buddy left here um and it looks like kirk hammett's pick which i have right there <laughs> that's cool yeah i mean this is kind of different because it's not like if you look at the top edge here yeah I see it's, it's actually different. yeah it's got a beveled sort of like deal and so like i said if you go past the the picking range that you really want to be at it catches and makes you stop. And it's really irritating. And I've wanted to like crush it with a sledgehammer numerous times, but um, it, it really does like, uh, it really does increase your speed, which, uh, you know, speed is not everything, but I've never been one. I've, I've always wanted to be able to play as fast as I want, when I want, and to the point, and ironically that Ozzy Osbourne 
uh, thing you got right there, the Randy Rhodes. Uh, yeah. Trying to play that lead in Crazy Train, man, has been one of those things I've been working on my whole life to get it like as perfect as possible. You know what I mean? There's a really and, good video uh, about it where the guy shows the two. Randy's playing two different parts and they break it down. They break down the little notes he does differently and why it sounds so cool when he does the two oh, different gotta parts. you got to send that to me. Yeah, you got to send that to I me. I will. Because, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually done a lot. Like I loaded that, that, uh, that solo into FL Studio and I slowed it down. Um, you know, with, but stayed keeping with the pitch um, because there was just, a, there's a couple things that are commonly tabbed on that solo that are not. Oh, correct, it's, it's right? all wrong. The books are all wrong. You got to watch him yeah. do it live and then he changes it every time. And it's like, the well, he two changed, tracks that's the thing. He changes it. Yeah. He changes it live. I'm trying to play the album version, but certainly the way he plays it live is a lot easier to execute on that last really fast run. Right. You'll like that video. That, yeah. Like I'm that down. Video. I can't wait to see it. I hate that run too because I it's it's like it's just a harmonic minor, but why does it sound so good and why is it so different for everyone to play it? Yeah, it, it is strange. And then you got you know guys on YouTube videos where they're playing it like you know they're starting on E flat and, instead of E, and it's just all you know. I I've seen some people transcribe that song where the you know the main rhythm they're hammering the G instead of the G sharp. Um, and so there's just all kinds of stuff that goes into that song. Um, that, it's funny you know, being our age. Cause I think we grew up like looking at guitar magazines, trying to learn how to play stuff. And now yeah. you could just go on YouTube and watch the guy live somewhere and go, Oh, that's how we did it. You know? Yeah. Well, except for Randy, right. Cause all the footage is fucked up and, and, and to your point, he changes it live. So, and the shit he does live, you're like, Fuck, I gotta learn that too. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. I got my this is my Randy guitar, pretty much. This is my Les Paul. 77. Oh, right it's my 77 well, Les Paul. Uh, at least part of the tracks that he recorded that song, it's not the Les Paul. Because there are some things with the whammy bar, right? What like during the solo, that part where a lot of people bend it up and they hammer it, right? He's not that's going down, not up right like the, the pitch drops it doesn't it doesn't go up so like well he's um, betting the string he's going sometimes like live yeah with yeah. the less paul because that's the only way you can do it but on the actual recording if you listen to it and slow it down he's actually bending that down with so he's just he's just trilling that he's trilling that yeah yeah exactly so so that's been a really yeah, it's been a clinic for me to study that song, man, with, especially with Chris, because, you know, Chris has got such an amazing ear. Like, it, you know, it, it's funny when I try when I play stuff back to him and, and I do it wrong. He'll tell me what I did wrong without even seeing my guitar because the zooms all, you know, I, I take zoom lessons from the dude. So, um, yeah, he's been an amazing and, and I've never been into economy picking until now. So that's been the newest thing I've tried to been, you know, that's what I was going to ask you about. The sweet picking between two strings at a time. Yeah, I'm not really into sweet picking that much, man. It's just never been something that I've been really that that down with. But um, uh, not that I don't respect the hell out of people that can do it. It's awesome. It's just never been something that's appealed well, to me. Sonically. The minuscule. Although Richie Kotzen can do it in a way that like I go, all right, dude, I prop. I, that, that's I'm only cool. meaning like the mini miniature little sweeps that allow you to do the three notes yeah, per so string stuff so that's what i've been working on because um at the end of that riff in um like i'm going back trying to learn all the classics right so in no more tears with zach when zach's doing that you know that hammer on thing um 
uh, I'm doing that in a way that that is using economy picking for that part of it to get that fourth note. I'll show it to you sometime offline, but but yeah. And then I'm also learning um, Symphony for Destruction, the solo in there. Uh, And I know I did it in high school. I know half of it. (laughs) Yeah. So Marty Marty uses economy picking on some of that stuff too. Right. And so that. Yeah, me too, man. And, and but the thing is, is like the, the, the flip side to that is, is like doing things intentionally is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Because now that I can do some of that stuff, I find that like sometimes, especially on those blues based leads, I'm picking the second and third string bang bang instead of going down up. And that hinders me at some yeah. point to finish the riff in the right way. I showed and my friend how to economy pick and he got mad at me after. He said, you fucked me up. And then he's like, but I yeah. love it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. It takes like, Cause you're pushing into the strings gotta, now. Um, yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta sort of like realize that, okay, look, I know this thing really well, but now I'm going to unlearn some of the things that I've learned in order to learn how to do this. But then I'm going to have to go back and reinforce the ability to go either way with it, depending on what I want to do. And it's just a, you know, it's a journey and a process. And to your point, like once you get alternate picking down and you get it down really well, you almost don't want to fuck with it. Cause you're like, no, I know how to do what I know how to do. But if you want to expand your, because some things like Chris was saying, it's like, dude, if you want to do some things at tempo, you're just not going to be able to do them alternating picking. And, um, you know, as soon as he told me that and I realized the truth of it, um, that that's when I made the commitment to start to work on this stuff. And it's definitely still a work in progress. But um, very cool. But I did use I did use some of it on this steampunk uh, woman solo uh, in, in terms of some of those techniques, because I'm constantly trying to use my solos as a way to, like, showcase whatever, like the latest, greatest stuff is that I'm learning and push. Right. You want to show what you second. do. You want to. Come yeah. out with a new. You want to be the next Van Halen record? That's not a Van Halen record, but it's showing guitar. Well, <laughs> I want to. I want to make something that 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 requires me to stay on top of my game in order to execute, so I don't get soft. Right. The like, problem is nobody in the that, world is listening for something that's requiring someone to stay on their game. They're just listening for what someone showed them. This was such a weird world. Totally, but, uh, and that and that ultimately is the thing, right? So. The way that I, it's funny, the way that I've done, that I did these solos um, for this album was completely different than I've ever done solos before. Because again, solos, the, the way I used to write solos was we would write the song. And then by the time I got to practice, unless I worked it out, it would just be like, I'm just jamming. Right. And so you jam enough times and you find something cool enough times and it just sort of kind of melds together over time. And then, and then you get in the studio and you find that half of what you wrote doesn't even really work. So then you kind of fuck with it. And then you got to relearn whatever it is you wrote in the studio. Well, what I what I did with this album was I literally recorded Steampunk Woman. I literally recorded a hundred different tracks, like a hundred. And then I went back and found pieces that I liked and sort of put them together. And then I learned how to do it the way that I put it together. And then I recut the whole thing. Yep doing it like that i have like 35 versions of i'm not sorry like and some songs like i've had for like 15 years that are they're like my children i don't have kids so like they're like my kids until i get them to the point where they're old enough to be on an album i can release it you know totally man all right well well, you know what's what 
Yeah, I know we got to go, but you know what's cool is I was going to say, you take some of those alternate versions and use those as the unlockables for your NFTs so that people who are really super fans can get a, even more of a glimpse into you know, your thoughts when you were, were doing the song. That's exactly the idea. Only you have to pick and choose like which versions you're going to put on there. <laughs> totally. yeah. So like, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, we should do uh, another call sometime, maybe do a jam or something. I definitely love to play guitar with you. Um, yeah. It'd be cool to hear what you, what you got going on when you're releasing the record. Maybe you can come back on when the album comes out or something in September. Um, yeah. The, the single comes out in September and hopefully by then, you know, we'll have some plans for, uh, some sort of a live show i'm not sure like i said how that's working yet but um i wanted to ask you have you been like what's the live music scene like i'm in lockdown here what where you are what's the music Vegas scene like just yeah just started again so i'm actually going to be going to a show i think sunday night um a buddy awesome. of mine's getting uh getting married and then he's doing a show for the reception and uh so i want to come pay my respects I, I again man i probably i'm vaccinated um, and so that's cool and everything, but as a kidney transplant recipient, who's taking medication every day to make sure I don't have an immune system, yeah. I'm not really trying to like push the science, right? Like I'm, I'm trying you. to mitigate risk right now. Um, you know, more so for the people that I love and I take care of than, than even myself. Cause at this point I've lived a, a long blessed life and I have no complaints. Now you got but, a lot more um, to go. A lot more to go. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying, I'm, I'm hoping to get all these songs out at least. Just <laughs> I've out. been working one piece of advice from my producer and I that I work with, uh, we call it avoid the old man rock. You know, that thing where you're saying the guys in the black shirts, like old man rock. I'm like, no, nope, that's too old man rock. Got to change that part. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I, mean, I, the bass I, player. Listen, I love, <laughs> I love all my friends and the people who are my contemporaries and, and, and I have an appreciation and a respect for everything that's come before me, but I'm not trying to repeat the past, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm an artist living in 2021 and my idol, Jimi Hendrix, would, would embrace all new technology possible to see what avenues are out there to tell stories and to create music. And that's the attitude I'm trying to roll into this year and beyond with. And I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that I can create a musical project that, that appeals to all, you know, age groups and across multiple genres. So I think uh, maybe, you know, this trying time we've been in has been good for you a little bit where you sort of had a chance to, you know, look inward and create what you're going to come out with now. So I think we all have had that. So I think that uh, is uh, going to be exciting. I, I can't wait to see a live show uh, or to hear some more of this album. If you want to send me an MP3 or something that I can, that I can hear, I would love to hear it. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll send you a couple. Okay, cool, man. So with that, uh, I'd like to thank you for Catfish Comstock. I'll put any links up here that you want me to share. Um, and thanks for coming on the Musicians Insider with me, Cronus. And uh, it'll be posted live every Wednesday at noon EST. Thanks.